You know, have you ever noticed that two days prior to a snowstorm, the stores still get mobbed with people out storm shopping? Uh, the one that we had a couple weeks back was no different. I had to run out. I think it was Friday evening, maybe Saturday or Thursday. I forget. But regardless, I mean, the stores had more shoppers than they did during the holidays. And, you know, why is that? Uh, if you listen to doom and gloom weather forecasters, you know, they just love to throw out terms like storm of the century or record-breaking storm. But rarely does that sense since yeah, sensationalism ever hold true. But, uh, yeah, you got to throw in the Arctic vortex into that mess, too. Now, back in the days when there were times that we would get snowed in or lose power for days, and we didn't even rush to the stores back then. We made sure there was enough milk and cereal and toilet paper to hold us over, and, you know, that was it. And uh, most of the time when we did our weekly shopping, you know, we made sure we had that. Uh, nowadays, it, you know, we get stuck inside our homes for an evening or maybe even a little bit of the next day. Oh, my God. It, it causes these mad rushes to the stores. Uh, I just don't understand why it happens. But, you know, aside from the medication, there's very few things that, I can't do without for at least 24 hours. And the funny thing is that these kids these days have the audacity to make fun of us boomers for being stupid and not knowing what we're talking about. Uh, when you see them running out to the stores to get a month's supply of pizza rolls and ramen noodles and fruity pebbles, uh, it, it might be snowed in, so, hey, you might as well spring for that, you know, up, $5 a bottle uh, premium stuff wine that they sell in the grocery stores. You know, don't go getting the cheap stuff. But, you know, seriously, what would our forefathers would have thought uh, if they saw this, you know, running to the store when there was a possibility of a little bit of nasty weather coming in? And, you know, even if they did wish to run to the store, they might have had to run for a long ways. Uh, you know, a day or two's journey fighting off grizzly bears and floods uphill both ways and snowstorms. But, you know, at least today it's not as crazy as all that. But even as you walk down the aisles of your local grocery store, you know, into the drug aisle, say, and you see an array of brightly colored bottles and boxes whose contents are designed to treat an almost endless variety of ailments, could you ever imagine them once as being flowers growing on a forest floor or the bark being cut from the trees? And many of our meds today are actually derived from plants. And, uh, you know, granted nowadays a lot of them are artificially made, but it's still the same chemical compounds that uh, came from the natural plants. So I figured that'd be a good subject to uh, touch on this week. Though always makes for a fun show. But as always, this is the Plant Doctor Show, and oh yeah, my name's Mike Meyer, and uh, we're here until 11 o'clock, and we'll be taking your calls and answering your questions about anything that's green or growing. So if you got a question about you know, a sick houseplant, or uh, you know, maybe you're thinking about, hey, with this uh, nice weather that we ha we're having coming, 
and you've noticed that the frost has gone from the top of your lawn and you want to get out there and actually do a little bit of repairing right now and you're wondering if that would be a good time to do it uh or um you know thinking about doing some trimming to your trees or shrubs uh go ahead and give me a call or shoot me a text uh, the number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. And that's both for talk or text. And uh, you can get right on in. We've got three open lines. And, uh, you know, if you want to uh, sh- give me a call and just share an old cure from the past uh, today, too, that would be fine as well if you feel like sharing. Uh, if you're as old as dirt like I am, uh, you know, you might even remember taking some of these things and it, m- most of what I know is not from personal experience, thank God, but uh, I do remember taking some of, uh, these, uh, homeopathic remedies. My grandmother would make a uh, tea out of Queen Anne's lace for whenever we got sick and, I mean, Queen Anne's Lace is a pretty flower, and it has a little bit of a nice scent to it, kind of like an herbal-type scent. But, God, it ta- that tea tasted horrible. Ugh, it was like drinking oil. But, uh, yeah, it made me afraid. That was the only time that I was ever afraid to see my grandmother is when I was sick. But, uh, yeah, and some of these things are good, and some aren't so good. And you've got to remember that this show is for entertainment purposes only, please. Even though a lot of these uh, old world cures are still used today, they're refined. And, uh, yeah, I'm not suggesting in the slightest bit that you set aside what your doctor says you should do and try some of these old world cures yourself. Uh, I mean, there was, in a lot of cases, a very fine line between cure and killing. So, uh, and the other thing you got to remember, too, is life expectancy back then was probably about 30 to 40 years shorter than it is now. So uh, I think the doctors are doing a pretty good job. And this is for entertainment purposes only. But I remember as a child, my father had this set of books. And I found them amazing, great bathroom reading. But they were called the Foxfire books, and they were paperback novels. Uh, Well, not novels. They were more like a reference-type book. But I spent many cold winter days sitting back reading them. And there were a collection of stories from Appalachian families dealing with all different aspects of their lives. And these books covered everything from building cabins with very primitive tools, and they actually told you how to do it, and stuff in these books worked, um, to raising animals and crops, and uh, home remedies for both the family members plus the animals that played such an important role in their lives. Because you got to think that these uh, folks, not only did they have to take care of their own uh, diseases and such like that, they didn't have vets back then. So they had to take care of their animals that much, you know, more. And if an animal got sick, they had to, you know, help it out. (coughs) But, uh, you know, before we start talking about these uh, old world cures and stuff like that, I just have to stress once again, 
please, I'm not promoting that you use these plants over any of our modern-day medicine. And, you know, the, always, you know, lean towards the doctor and what they say. And the other thing that you've got to keep in mind, too, is that certain things work against other medications. Like, uh, that's why the pharmacists need to know all the medications you're on. Because uh, something simple, like say you're going to take, uh, what's that one that they have out there, that mood enhancer, St. John's Wort. Uh, that's supposed to help with, uh, you know, uh, people you know that are feeling slightly depressed and all. And it's supposed to give you a more upbeat look on life. You know, fine and dandy stuff uh, might work. And it do- I've taken it myself uh, for energy, and it does give you a little bit more energy, uh, to, you know, make it through the day. Uh, I don't take the stuff anymore, but this is a long ways back when the big holistic uh, movement started uh, getting kicked back up again in the 80s. But uh, St. John's wort nullifies a lot of yeah, the other medications that you might be taking. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind. Uh, a lot of these uh, things that I might be speaking of sound great but it might counter meds that you're already on. So uh, always check with your doctor first, okay? Now, the history of a relationship between uh, products from living plants and making them into healing medications goes back to the beginnings of medicine itself. From Thousands of years before Christ in Egypt, they were followed by the uh, Chinese and later the Greeks and Romans and uh, right on up through uh, this country's uh, infancy and the early frontier days. The mass majority of our uh, settlers were cut off from any type of formal medical care and more competent, you know, uh, decent physicians remained way beyond their reach, both physically and financially, to a vast segment of the population. And this isn't just uh, back during the settlers' days. I mean, this goes back to when I was a kid. There was uh, large areas of the country that just didn't have doctors yet. And uh, it's probably still that way out you know, in some areas out west. Now, for the residents deprived of uh, these benefits, folk... And holistic medicine derived from, you know, time-honored and age-old traditions were used. Even after some of the new and better treatments became available, a lot of the old-timers hung, you know, tenaciously to these uh, folk remedies handed down from generations long past. And many of these uh, such remedies survived well into our current century. And even constitute a uh, part in the home treatments. Uh, Like I said, you know, practiced out in uh, the remote areas. And once you understand what some of these things do, you can get a feeling why they uh, still are being used. Uh, A lot of these plants, the uh, basic ingredients that are used in the preparations, the medicines and stuff like that, are still used today. Now, for most of the meds back uh, in the days of, you know, the backwoodsmen and the mountain men, there seemed to be this uh, belief among the early settlers that the more distasteful 
or obnoxious a concoction would be, the more effective it would be, of course. Now, you know, nowadays they uh, take medicine and they mix it up with some sweet syrup and, you know, for helping out your coughs. Uh, that tastes a heck of a lot better than chewing on wild cherry bark. But chewing on wild cherry bark might just be as effective as taking cough medicine. And that is where uh, the active ingredients for uh, a lot of the cough medicines come from. It's the same chemical it's found inside of cherry bark. Sassafras, catnip, whorehound, pennyroyal, all those herbs were brewed into teas, and they were used to treat coughs and colds. And, you know, like I said, uh, my grandmother used uh, Queen Anne's lace for it. I honestly can't tell you if the stuff worked. I think it probably scared the cold out of me more than it actually had a, you know, a true benefit, just because, you know, I was a little kid and the stuff tasted like motor oil. But, uh, you know, a lot of these things did work. And we're going to have to take a short break here. But when we come back, we'll talk about some more of them as well. And like I said, if you remember back uh, to when you were young and you had to endure some of these things, these old world cures for anything from muscle aches to sore throats, tonsillitis, whatever, uh, and you feel like sharing a story, please go ahead and give me a call. Uh, if you got a question about anything that's green or growing, it does not have to pertain to today's uh, topic. Uh, that would be fine, too. And again, the number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. And that is Talk and Text Line. We'll be right back here in just a couple of minutes. Whether you're a seasoned chef or just starting your culinary journey, Cooley Region Cooks is your new podcast resource. Discover new techniques. Hear from local culinary heroes who are mastering the art of the kitchen. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 on WIZM. Stream your favorite cooking tips, local chef interviews, and mouth-watering recipes on the WIZM app. Or find us on your favorite podcast platform. Stay updated and engaged by following us on Facebook. Just search Cooley Region Cooks today. Hi, I'm Ken Cooper, host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen in to my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at AroundRiverCity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. And you're always a winner if you listen to WIZM. Get kept up on the news and uh, weather, sports, all sorts of good stuff. And you learn about plants, too, uh, Saturday mornings uh, on the Plant Doctor Show. And, you know, during the winter, we talk about uh, some, we stretch the limit about talking about plants because you kind of run out of things to talk about as far as house plants go. But uh, this is one that and I still think it directly uh, pertains to uh, plants, and uh, that's medicines derived from them. And it always makes for a very fun show, at least in my book it does. And I get fascinated by weird things, I know. But, uh, you know, we're talking about the different medicines, uh, what they have today, and how a lot of these are actually made up of uh, things that our forefathers, you know, used. Uh, they couldn't go to the drugstore, so they ran out and cut some bark off of a tree and used that instead. 
uh, the leaves and the twigs of the red cedar. And if you've ever smelled red cedar, you know it's got this beautiful aromatic uh, scent to it. Uh, but they boiled it, and breathing in that scent would break up bronchitis. Now, this one here is really cool. Uh, willow leaves and bark were made into a tea to help break up fevers. And that makes perfect sense today. And this is one of those ones that I was talking about that uh, they actually still use the active ingredient. Uh, the active ingredient that was present in the uh, willow leaves and the bark was uh, salicylic acid. And uh, if you're familiar, familiar with uh, any of the active ingredients in today's medicine, salicylic acid is also known as aspirin. Uh, yeah, these are the frontiersmen had aspirin at their disposal. No, they didn't pick it off a tree. They had to uh, make it themselves. But, uh, you know, they didn't make an aspirin. They, you know, uh, made a tea out of it and they drank it. But it did, it actually did the trick. And uh, it, I remember as a kid, my grandfather used to say, uh, if you had a toothache, to chew on a uh, willow uh, branch. And that's probably because the salicylic acid in there uh, reduced the inflammation in your mouth, just like chewing that aspergum stuff uh, does. But, uh, yeah, same thing as aspirin, exact same active ingredient. But the amounts might differ, so you got to be really, really careful. Now, another one that is still in use today, and this one here is not as well known up north. Uh, but when I was down south, I was amazed by it. And that's the bark from the camphor tree. And it probably predominantly grows uh, down south by the uh, Mason-Dixon line. But uh, they would go ahead and either tap the tree for the sap. It was an extremely hard wood, though. Uh, or they would sh uh, shave the bark off and get at the cambrium layer. That's a soft, squishy area right underneath the bark. Uh, and Or they'd just take the bark itself and grind it into a powder and boil it. And they would make a poultice for bronchitis, colds, and uh, it was even used to help TB. And today, we use that exact same material. The exception is it's added to a petroleum jelly instead, and we know that as Vicks. Yeah, the stuff that comes in that little clear bottle with the blue cap uh, actually is uh, a derivative from a tree. Okay, that's going to take us to our news break. We'll be back here in just a couple of minutes uh, with Plant Doctor Show. Uh, we'll go ahead and give us a call. The number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914, and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Ken Cooper, host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen in to my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at AroundRiverCity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. And we are back with the Plant Doctor Show. And uh, today, in between calls and texts, we're going to be talking about how uh, many of the old world uh, holistic uh, cures and medicines uh, that 
you know, most of them were derived from uh, plants, uh, are a lot of them are still used today, uh, just in different form, and uh, still do, you know, a pretty good job. But as I mentioned in the first hour, please, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Don't go switching away from anything that your doctor's uh, telling you to use. They're a lot smarter. You know, I'm good with plants. I'm definitely a plant doctor, but I'm not a people doctor. This is for entertainment purposes only. Now, there is one uh, plant that if I had to pick a plant out other than a food, uh, you know, type product uh, that had the biggest impact on this country, it would easily be the white pine tree. And, but a lot of people don't realize why. And it's actually the white pine helped us win the civil war, believe it or not. Uh, that plant is so good at healing wounds, uh, and sores, uh, the doctors would use it. And the, the reason why it, uh, helped us, uh, when the North won the civil war is because the white pine is a northern tree. It predominantly grows on the east northeast coast out to about here. Uh, you go out further west, you don't have it. You go down south, you don't have it. But up in this area, white pines are common. And the northerners knew that, and we made medicine out of it. And the sap, uh, and this one here is a good one to know if, uh, this is one that I will actually promote if you're in a worst-case scenario, like out in a hike somewhere and you're out in the middle of the boonies, you fall down, you cut yourself really bad, and you're bleeding like a stuck pig. Now, it's not going to do anything to stop an arterial bleed, but, you know, just a cut into, you know, the meat of your arm or your leg or something like that. Uh, and you can see a white pine tree in the area. The sap has this like chemical cauterizing agent to it where it will stop bleeding. Uh, and not only will it stop bleeding it, it with a uh, chemical cauterizing agent, it has an antibiotic uh, type of a uh, reaction as well where it killed bacteria. And so... With the Northern, you know, the Union armies uh, armed with this information and the Union doctors, you know, had a supply of this stuff, uh, it was easy to get. All you had to do is cut the branch off a pine tree, literally, uh, you know, scrape some of the uh, sap off of a, a cone. Uh, getting pine sap was easy. And we use this on our uh, wounded. And that's why our wounded, the Northerners wounded, were much had a much better chance at survival. Uh, and actually, even though a lot of uh, wounds did wind up requiring amputation, but a gunshot wound to a uh, rebel soldier was almost a guarantee of an ap amputation, uh, where the Northern soldiers, we patched them up and they got better and they went back to fight more. So, uh, you know, the stuff does work. And like I said, the, uh, it was only really known by the, uh, Northern army. 
you know, people that grew up up north that were used to the white pine tree. And there are other um, coniferous uh, trees that do have some good uh, aspects to them, but uh, not. There are two predominant ones that uh, played a part in that, and one was the uh, white pine, and the other was the hemlock, which only grows up north as well. Now, the hemlock is basically a drugstore being grown as a tree. Uh, the powdered bark for the hemlock tree was used to, again, uh, staunch a flow of blood from a cut. The tannin in the bark was great for burns. It was used in an, as an astringent, an antiseptic, and antispasmodic, and uh, it had fungicide properties to it as well. And it was also very good in lowering fevers. Uh, it was used in traditional Native American uh, herbalism for the treatment of diarrhea, colitis, diverticulitis, and uh, cystitis. Uh, and it was also used to aid in exercising evil spirits from uh, humans and animals too. And if you think about that, that actually makes sense because, you know, these early, uh, uh, the primitive people and early settlers and such were a lot more superstitious than we are. And they also didn't have an understanding of why things happened the way they happened. And when somebody would get a really high fever, they would start hallucinating. And, you know, temporary dementia would be set in. And, uh, you know, they didn't look at it as the person was crazy. A lot of times they looked at it as the person was possessed. And by giving him uh, a tea made out of the bark of a hemlock tree, uh, it knocked the fever right back. Now, the one thing is, is it didn't do too much in, depending on what was causing the fever uh, to actually treat the root cause, but it just beat the heck out of the fever itself, which, uh, you know, once uh, temperature was lowered, the person stopped hallucinating and they came back to their normal good old selves. So uh, they use this a lot in the, you know, early exorcisms. Uh, they were curing the possessed with it. Uh, I know that it was also used in a mouthwash and a gargle to uh, relieve gingivitis and sore throats. And like I said before, it was used as a poultice to uh, cleanse and uh, stop bleeding and wounds. It was used as a, uh, a feminine cleanser to... Uh, which would help out in excessive discharge, thrush, and even it actually helped with uterine prolapse. Uh, how it did that, I have no idea, but it did. Now, like I said, this is this one here is like a drugstore in a tree with all the different things that it took care of. But you have to be careful because there's two types of hemlock. And it's not to be confused with the herbaceous hemlock, uh, which also grows wildly in our area, uh, wildly and widely in our area. 
Now, that was also used to treat many ailments, but the herbaceous, and when I say herbaceous, I better, for those of you that don't know the definition of that word, uh, herbaceous means non-woody. So herbaceous means it comes up like a a weed. Uh, And this uh, weedy hemlock, uh, while it was used to treat many ailments, it was also deadly poisonous. And uh, you know the who who was it? Mark Antony that was killed, or one of the Caesars was killed with hemlock poisoning. Uh, one of those famous uh, people was killed with hemlock poisoning, and Sam Hemlock. Uh, so while this stuff did work, and it did work on a lot of different ailments as well. There was a really fine line between curing and killing, so you had to be careful. And I do not recommend that anybody use the herbaceous hemlock. In fact, I don't even recommend that you pull the stuff out without gloves because just a little bit of the sap transferred to your mouth is enough to make you deadly sick if you pick the plant at the wrong time of the year. And it's always a good thing to uh, be able to recognize this plant, too. I I was going to save doing poisonous plants for another show, but while we're talking about it, I'll go ahead and throw this one part here out. Uh, The herbaceous hemlock does not look like the hemlock tree at all. It actually resembles, and I bet just about everybody out there has pulled this stuff up out of the ground. Now, it's always poisonous. But there's certain times of the year that it's more deadly than others. And that's mainly in the springtime when it's actively growing. But uh, it looks like a wild carrot growing. Except when you pull it up out of the ground, it has a white taproot instead of an orange taproot. And if you were to cut into it, it smells just like a carrot as well. And that's where a lot of kids wind up getting poisoned by this stuff. Um... because they were like, oh, wow, cool, carrots, I'm going to eat healthy. And, you know, all of a sudden the mother looks out in the yard and there's little Bobby laying on the ground and, uh, you know, foaming at the mouth and they have no idea what in the heck happened. Uh, and a lot of the times it causes uh, hemlock poisoning. So you got to be really careful with this stuff. Uh, I... If I saw it growing in a uh, customer's uh, property, I made sure I pointed out. Generally, I wound up killing it, but I since the property would have uh, the chance of growing it back again, I always made sure the customer knew what it looked like, too. But this is nothing to mess around with. But again, that's different than the other hemlock tree. Uh, rhododendron is another one that where the plant itself is poisonous, but the oil from the tree, if you squeezed it out from the uh, bark and from the wood, was used to uh, treat uh, rheumatism and arthritis. And uh, like I said before, many cough syrups were built around uh, a cherry tree, uh, the cherry bark, and everybody uh, associates cherries with cough. But for some reason, everybody thinks it's the fruit of the cherry because of, you know, the holes or the ludens or whatever brand, you know, uh, cough drop you like to use. It always shows a picture of the uh, cherry fruit. That's because cherry bark tastes like ick. And nobody wants to eat cherry bark. But 
nobody's got a problem eating regular cherries. So, uh, and everybody loves the taste of cherries. So that's why they marketed it that way. And it was good to, you know, they can include the flavor, but it's not the cherry fruit that did the trick. Eating cherries will do nothing for a cough or a sore throat, but the bark will. And also, Virginia snake root uh, was another one. Uh, Indian turnips uh, mixed with honey uh, worked very well, too. Uh, you know, there's a whole array of different beliefs and the concoctions that these folks used on themselves, and unfortunately, their kids, in a lot of uh, cases. I mean, the poor kids had no say in the matter. Uh, the poultices were regarded very highly back in the pioneering days. And, you know, seeing where a lot of these things came from, like I said, the camphor, uh, you make a, I, we use the same technique today. You know, like I said, it's Vicks. You rub the Vicks on the chest and, hey, away goes your cold, or at least you feel better right away. It breaks up the congestion. It can, you know, um, clear out a stuffed nose. It does really good work at that. Uh, but these poultices that they made, uh, some of these leaned a little bit more towards barbaric. <clears throat> Apparently, there was a fine line of time for leaving them on. Excuse me, I had to cough there, so I threw off the mic for a minute. There was a uh, fine line of time for leaving it on. If you left it on uh, for, you know, too little time, it didn't do any good. If you left it on too long, your skin would blister. But uh, that was used a lot with uh, mustard, uh, wild mustard. It grows right along the roadsides around here. Everybody sees it. You might not know what it is. But it has a mustard yellow flower to it. And the seeds are ground to make the uh, mustard that we enjoy on our brats and our hot dogs and our hamburgers. But, uh, yeah, this was used for uh, breaking up colds and congestion as well. But it's also the same thing that was used in mustard gas. The stuff is caustic. And that's why mustard can be really hot if you're not careful. You know, you get the wrong brand that you're not used to. Uh, you can get mild mustard or you can get some pretty brutal mustards out there. And uh, you, like I said, some of these things would actually burn the skin if you left it on for too long. And it was usually kids that wound up getting these things. So uh, they had no say in the matter, poor kids. Uh, yarrow and jimson weed are uh, also two very common summertime weeds in our area that have, you know, ingredients that were mixed into poultices that were placed on wounds to uh, draw out infections. And uh, they did a really good job. Uh, the jimson weed is very common in our area. Uh, and I've used that one myself. Uh, everybody knows that our jewel weed is another word that's, uh, it's called by, uh, it uproots very easily. The stems are hollow 
They have like little snapdragon-like flowers on them. Uh, they usually grow in the shade and damp areas. Uh, very shallow root system. Uh, as kids, we used to pull them up and throw them as spears. Uh, but uh, the stalks are like almost like a straw with water on the inside. And if you ever get stung by a bee and you can't get in, you know, put any, uh, you know, uh, modern treatment on it, uh, and you've got some Jimson weed nearby, go ahead and break one and uh, put it right on top of the bee sting. Guarantee you the uh, sting will go right away. It pulls the venom right out of your skin. And stuff does a really good job. Like I said, uh, there's a few things that I have used, and I will tell you when they work, but never, ever uh, take these things that I'm talking about and go against a doc, a real doctor's uh, recommendations, please. When I'm suggesting that you use them is when, hey, you're out there and nothing else works uh, or nothing else is available. Another uh, good, and it's holistic, it's got nothing to do with plants, way of treating bee stings too, is uh, just by using a little bit of mud. Uh, and it works best if it's a clay-type mud, uh, other than, you know, like a good uh, rich humus-type uh, mud. But uh, you go ahead and you smear the mud over the uh, bee sting, and as that mud dries... It will, uh, and it's drying on your skin, it's drawing the uh, venom back out from the uh, sting. And uh, once that venom leaves the sting, it stops stinging. So that does a pretty good job, too. Another good one to know for uh, bee stings, too, is uh, meat tenderizer. Same thing. You make a, a little bit of a uh, uh, paste out of it, rub it on top. As it dries, it draws the poison right out, and you're good to go. Okay, uh, we're going to have to take a break here and take care of a little bit of business. And when we come back, a little bit of weather. But we still might have some time, too, for a uh, phone call. If you got a question about anything green or growing, go ahead and give us a buzz. The number down here at Wisdom is 608-785-7914. And we will be right back. Hi, I'm Ken Cooper, host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen in to my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at AroundRiverCity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Now, uh, if you've got a question about anything that's green or growing, please go ahead and give me a call or shoot me a text. Uh, we're getting down to the end of the show now, so we don't have too much time left, but we can still fit you in. Uh, and I did just receive a text question uh, here. Let me bring it up here. Because, unfortunately, I'm not familiar with this uh, point here. Uh, how about plenum on cuts or plenium? I've never heard of that. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's That's a plant that I've never heard of. And let's see. Let's see. What do I call him? Could I snip them off and start new ones? Oh, let's see what the picture is. Ah, what that is is a jade plant. Okay, uh, somebody call, uh, sent me a text with some uh, pictures. What do I call him? Uh, it is a jade. Can I snip them off and start a bunch of new ones? Yes, jades are one of the easiest uh, plants to uh, root. Uh, don't even bother snipping it off. Uh, what you do is pull down lightly on a uh, leaf and a jade is a thick succulent type of a uh, plant. It looks like a little miniature tree. You've probably seen them and not known what they are. 
Uh, they look like uh, Mr. Miyagi's bonsai trees. And it's one of my favorite plants in the world. Uh, I used to grow them when I was back in school. It is one of the trees that I used for, uh, or one of the plants that I used for teaching how to propagate other plants uh, because they are so easy. Just take the leaf, stick it in some potting soil, uh, keep the soil uh, moist in the beginning until the plant itself starts growing out, and you'll see it coming up right from the stem. The rest of the leaf will start to rot away, but uh, it will send up a new uh, trunk from the uh, stem that's into the ground, and it will grow from there. Uh, once it you know starts creating leaves, you can go ahead and cut back on the watering, uh, until then, it's going to rely on the uh, water that you're giving it. So you're going to want to keep that soil uh, slightly moist. Keep it in a brightly lit area, but out of direct sunlight. And also keep it out of any drafts. Uh, it is a great beginner plant. And it's a really good one to build up confidence on because it's a succulent. Uh, it can go a long time between waterings, especially when... You've got a uh, mature plant, and you, like a lot of other people, might tend to forget about watering the plants every now and then. Hi, I'm Ken Cooper, host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen in to my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at AroundRiverCity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts.